Good morning and welcome to this episode of Uptempo Sports 24-7, the weekend edition with your host, Coach P. We've got a lot to cover in this weekend edition of sports from March Madness. That's right. We are here for the upsets here in March Madness, and we're just glad that it's back. We're also here for the NBA and what's going on with James Harden as he's leading the Brooklyn Nets on a mission. The NFL and NFL free agency has been crazy, but before we get started with all the fun things in sports, we must talk about the horrendous treatment and the mistake that was made with the NCAA when it came to the women of college basketball. And with that, let's get started. There was a bit of a misstep with the NCAA when it came to the preparation for the women's NCAA tournament. This month is March. This month also happens to be the time frame which we are celebrating women and what they've done in our history from all the contributions that they've made for all the strides that they've made for all the accomplishments that they've made for so many women being trailblazers but then we come full circle and we realize that women are still treated just like minorities they're not given the respect that they deserve They're still looked at in a certain way and fashion and are treated as such. And nothing could be more daunting than what we saw with the preparation for March Madness in San Antonio for the women who begin their tournament today. There was a photograph taken by one of the athletes of the weight facility that was prepared for the women in San Antonio. It was one stand of dumbbells. Then you look at the photos on Instagram of the weight facilities that was prepared for the men to get ready for the tournament. And it's totally the exact opposite. It was as if they were thinking the women didn't need to prepare to work out to do anything to get ready for the tournament. There was no stationary bikes. There was no treadmills. There was just one stand of barbells. When when are we going to understand, as much as we talk about having a sense of understanding for what women have done in this country, what women have done in sports, and we still treat them like second-class citizens. They want to sit and say, oh, we dropped the ball. This is more than dropping the ball. You had the same amount of time to prepare for this tournament just as the men did. And even if there was somebody who was not sure what should have been done, there were too many people that had their hands in the cookie jar that somebody should have recognized that this was just unacceptable. It shouldn't have taken a player to put a post a picture on Instagram or Twitter for you all to get this right, NCAA. And and for you all want you know, there's some people who want to sit and say that, you know, Mark Emmert, the director of the NCAA, 
that he's not responsible for this. Seth Greenberg, this is what he said on this is what he said on ESPN yesterday that it's not all on the shoulders of Mark Emmert. I don't. I'm not sitting here saying that it is, but if you're if you're the leader, if you're the man in charge, and you're delegating responsibilities to those around you, then someone has to answer for this misstep. Someone has to answer for this outlandish display, in my opinion, of disrespect for for these women and for, for what they've done. We saw in the bubble last year what the WNBA players did. You had so many WNBA players that sat out last year because they were fighting for social justice. They wanted to make sure that their voices got heard and their platforms they wanted to make sure their platforms were bigger than them playing in a playing in a season. So we saw those women do all that. Those are professional women. We saw them do all of that, and then we turned back around less than a year later, and the women of the NCAA, the women of college basketball, this is the type of treatment that they are subjected to. Five and ten pound dumbbells as they're preparing for preparing for March Madness for a tournament that they missed out on last year which would make you think that although we're still in a pandemic you would still think that everybody would be trying to do the best that they can to put on the best performance and make sure everything was done to the highest level because of the fact that we missed out on the events of March Madness last year you would think that they would go the extra mile but instead, this is where we are, and this is what we're talking about, is that the women of college basketball were mistreated, that they were treated like second-class citizens. And it just doesn't make any sense at this particular point. The women of these universities and colleges are just as important to the game of basketball as the men. They're bringing and setting a tone in this game. And... March Madness for them is just as exciting as it is for the men. Now, for some, they may say, well, they're not bringing in the TV revenue that the men do. Okay, that's that's not an argument. Most men's sports are always going to supersede women's sports. That does not lessen the impact that women have in our society and in, in their sports. And so to do this, whether someone is saying it wasn't it wasn't done egregiously, it wasn't done on purpose, it doesn't matter. The optics make it look like it was. The optics make it look like that there was no thought process in this at all. And that's disconcerting considering where we are in 2021 that we're still talking about equality for women, equality for minorities of all types. Why are we still talking about this? Why are we still looking and seeing that there's so much imbalance when it comes to women and men? Not just in sports, in the working field, in salaries, we still have this disparity. Come on, we, we've got to do better. And, and as, I, and as I've, I've been saying, it's not about being right it's about doing right and this definitely was not a situation where the NCAA did anything right and just to merely come out and say we dropped the ball we're sorry to me it's not enough Mark Emmert needs to come out as the president of the NCAA and he needs to make a statement to apologize to these young women and to these coaches of these universities and colleges who are coaching these young women. It makes no sense that where we are in 2021, we are still dealing with this imbalance and this inequality when it comes to how we look at women in general, but especially in profession, in professions and in sports. They corrected their mistake. If you go on, you were watching ESPN yesterday, you saw where they had bought in weights and treadmills and uh, 
things of that nature. But in my opinion, it was a little too late. The damage had already been done. The same way the quality of food that they were serving these young ladies to me was ridiculous as well. When are we going to get on board to understand that everything has to change? All the fighting, all the programs, all the stances that people are taking for social social equality means nothing if we're not going to do it through our actions. We can do all the marches, all the protesting that we want, but if our voices are not going to be heard, we're still stuck at square one. That's not just with women. That's also with minorities. We're still seeing so many incidents where where minorities are still being desecrated. Let's go to Atlanta. A few days ago, eight Asian women in nail shops were killed because a 21-year-old felt like he was having a bad day. Or at least that's what the police officer who gave the report said, that this young man was having a bad day. So if I'm having a bad day and I don't like dogs, then I guess it's okay for me to go out and every dog that I see and kill them. If I'm having a bad day and I don't like kids, I guess it's okay for me to go out and run over every kid that I see. I mean, for you to be a professional law enforcer, and this is the best that you can come out as a spokesperson and say it's asinine and you should be fired. Yeah, I didn't say punished. I didn't say that you should be um, suspended. No, you should be fired. Because people lost their lives. Innocent women lost their lives. And for you to come out and say this guy was having a bad day instead of addressing the fact that this guy was a racist once again shows the power of white privilege. If this guy had been black, oh, or if this guy had been of any other color than white, I... I I guarantee you that it wouldn't have been so plas so I'm so I'm lost for words right now. Excuse me. It would not have been so plas say in the way his message was delivered. But he made it seem like this is what people do when they get mad, they just go or the people when they're angry, they just go out and they just start killing. And then on top of that, they said the young man had a sex addiction, sex addi- addiction problem. So he felt like he had to kill these Asian women because of his sex addiction. Sex ad- addiction. Excuse me, folks. It's still early. Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? This was purely a hate crime. And it saddens me to think that through all the things that we experienced last summer, with George Floyd and Mr. Arbray in Georgia that we're still here. We're still here in regards to wrapping our head around why there's so much hatred and racism in this world. Eight innocent women at work doing their job lost their lives because of the indespicable actions of a person who had no heart. I'm sorry for this early morning rant, but it's just, it's needed because we have to be better as a country and as people. We have to unite and bond to stop this. Our world, we talk about this pandemic We talk about the fact that we need to get vaccinations so that everybody can get healthy or be healthy. We need vaccinations for life. 
We need vaccinations for the way that we think and for our actions, the way we act towards one another. That's what needs to be vaccinated. Our actions and our mindset towards each other. Because as much as we think that it's getting better, it seems like it's getting worse. So it's no point in us vaccinating the country for this pandemic, for this virus, if we're not going to vaccinate ourselves to live better in this country as one. We have to do better, folks. We have to have a better understanding of everybody's culture and everybody's ideas. We're not going to always agree, and that's fine. But that doesn't mean that we slaughter each other like animals. It doesn't mean that we go around thinking it's okay for us just to be disrespectful to others because their mindset is not the same as ours. We we have got to get a hold of our mindset and be better as a people of all races, of all ethnic groups, of all religious backgrounds. We all have to get better. And if we don't get better, this world is going to go to hell. And that's just the bottom line. If we all don't unite to get better, we're going to destroy each other in all phases of life. We're going to take a small commercial break and then we're going to come back and talk about the madness that we're seeing in the brackets of the NCAA tournament. I'm glad that the women got their facilities taken care of. But like I said, let's get better. Let's do better. Let's be better. You're listening to Uptempo Sports 24-7. Thank you for joining us this morning. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Uptempo Sports 24-7, the weekend edition. This is your host, Coach P. So let's move forward and let's talk about March Madness, baby, because it has been mad. The first part of this weekend, March Madness has made us understand and acknowledge why this is the best time of the year. We know why we missed out on March Madness last year because of the pandemic. But we are so glad that it is back and in full effect. And even though it may be limited in the amount of people who are at the actual games because of the safety issues for COVID. Folks, March Madness is March Madness. And it is other than probably the NFL, it is one of the greatest events that we can put our eyes on in sports. And this is why we all were so sadly disappointed last year that there were no games. But we are getting the experience and falling in love all over again with Marsh Madness. So let's talk about what's going on here in Indianapolis. The first thing that I want to talk about is... Welcome back to Coach Rick Pitino, one of the greatest coaches in collegiate basketball of all time. No one is perfect. No one's giving Rick Pitino a pass for his past transgressions. But if you keep it just about basketball, Rick Pitino, one of the greatest minds, one of the greatest coaches of all time. And he showed you that because... He is at Iona, and he has them in the tournament. Rick Pitino becomes only the third coach in NCAA history to take five different schools to the NCAA tournament. Let that resonate for a second. Five different schools this man has led to the NCAA tournament. That is an incredible feat on any level. 
but especially at the Division I level. Rick Pitino joins an elite class with Lon Kruger, who's currently the coach at Oklahoma, and one Tubby Smith, former national champion with the Kentucky Wildcats, who he took over for Rick Pitino when Rick Pitino left Kentucky to go to Louisville, if you guys can recall that. These three men are in a distinguished class. They're the only three coaches to ever coach five different teams and lead them to the NCAA. Congratulations to Coach Rick Pitino. Unfortunately, his stay in the NCAA tournament was one and done as Rick Pitino exit quickly from his first tournament since his time when he was at Louisville. But that doesn't take away the greatness of what Rick Pitino is and what Rick Pitino has done throughout his illustrious career as a basketball coach. We don't know if this will be a stepping stone for Rick Pitino to go somewhere bigger. He's come out and said that he is happy at Iona, but we all know that Rick Pitino is a big-time all-around coach. So if Rick Pitino took another job somewhere else at a bigger school, would you be surprised? He's saying all the right things now. And that's no, there's no... There's no shame in saying that he wants to stay at Iona right now. There's no shame in it. There's no time frame that he is under that says that he has to say, come out and say right now that he would leave Iona if a better job came about. But it's all about progression. So Rick Pitino, stand up and be celebrated for what you've done at Iona. Hopefully, Maybe he'll get another chance somewhere else on a larger scale. But this, like I said, you can't take away the greatness of what Rick Pitino has been as a head coach in collegiate basketball. And congratulations on getting them to the tournament. But like I said, they had an early exit day one of their chances in the tournament. And so they'll be going back home. But he's not the only one that had an early stage out. Because my North Carolina Tar Heels on Friday evening got ran out the gym by Wisconsin. It was ridiculous. And the thing going into the tournament that I had a my fears for for Carolina was that the inconsistency of their guard play all tournament bothered me all year long, I should say, bothered me. And I always thought that that was going to be their Achilles heel coming into this tournament, as well as their decision making when it came to shot selection. And that they fell prey to that against Wisconsin. I don't even think this was one of Wisconsin's better teams, but then again, this wasn't one of Carolina's better teams either. But they're on their way back home to North Carolina. And imagine a tournament where we have no Kentucky, no Duke, and no North Carolina that will be either in the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, the Final Four, or a championship. I, I can't recall when that has happened. I'm, I'm thinking back in my mind, and the, the only thing that I can recollect is back in 1979 when we had Michigan State and Indiana State. The interstate, Indiana State Sycamores with Larry Bird and Michigan State, of course, with Magic Johnson and Greg Kelser. That's the only time I can remember maybe when you didn't have Carolina or Kentucky or Duke in a championship or a final four. I, I just can't recall. My memory doesn't serve me very well right now. But 
Duke has not, the last time Duke missed out on the tournament as a whole was 1995. The last time that we've seen something like this where those three universities were not going to be competing, I just can't recall. But I know it's, it's, it hasn't been in, in recent history at all. So, but it does not stop the train of what March Madness brings to us as fans. Okay, we're not going to have North Carolina. We're not going to have Duke. We're not going to have Kentucky. But those teams weren't that good this year. So for anybody to say, well, because those three elite universities are not going to be in this tournament, is this tournament going to be any good? Tournament is still going to be great. Even under the current circumstances, the tournament is still going to be great because you know why? Because it's always about the kids. It's always about the effect that they bring when we have these matchups. We always do a bracket and we all sit and we think that we're smarter than the than the next person. We say, yeah, we think that this team will win, this team will win. But it's all decided on the court. And no matter what your seeding is, it's about shot selection. It's about shots that are made. And if you're not making shots, I don't care if you're a number one seed or a 14th seed. If you're not able to make shots, you're going home. And that's what happened to Georgetown. Georgetown, after a, a magnificent run in the Big East tournament, after not being picked to do anything this year, but to finish last, Coach Patrick Hewen and his young Hoyers team not only dismissed all those claims, they ran through the Big East tournament, were, got an invitation to the NCAA, but the Bucks stopped there for them as they ran up against a Colorado Buffalo team that shot the lights out in the first half. Georgetown, young team, still developing not necessarily have the shooters right now that Coach Patrick Hume would like. Ran into a Buffalo, Colorado team that just was not going to be denied. The Buffaloes of Colorado came out and shot the first half from the three-point line. They hit 11 threes in the first half. That tells you all you need to know about where this game was headed. Georgetown, if I'm not mistaken, I think in the first half only hit two or three threes you're not going to win a game against a team that's shooting that's shooting the way the Colorado Buffaloes did in the first half and then try to mount a comeback they're not Georgetown unfortunately was not built that way and the program is going to continue to grow and I think that with the way that they played the heart of a champion the heart of a lion it's only going to help Patrick Ewan and the Georgetown Hoyers recruit from this point forward and just want to say congratulations to Patrick Hewn again for what he accomplished this year under the circumstances and look forward to seeing what Georgetown does in the future. You want to talk about somebody who shot the lights out as an individual? Let's talk about what Buddy Beheim did for Syracuse and what he did for his dad, Jim Beheim. Buddy Beheim, 7-10 from the three-point line. 30 points as Syracuse advances to the next round of the tournament. Buddy Bayham has been on fire for the second half of this season. Going back to the ACC, he's been on fire. And he is the reason why they got into this tournament because the way he shot the ball going down a stretch in the ACC. And so now Jim Bayham and Syracuse would advance to the next round. As we talk about his performance, let's talk about the performance of the leading scorer in the country this year, Max Abrams. Yes. Who is Max Abrams, you ask? I say the same question. Who is Max Abrams? Max Abrams is the guard for Oral Roberts who led the country in scoring this year. Oh, you didn't know who Max Abrams was? As Ohio State. As he and his teammates shot Ohio State in the first round of the tournament and Oral Roberts moves on to the next round now. Talking about shock as North Texas, were they afraid of being in this tournament? By no means, as they defeated Purdue in overtime. 
Purdue, one of the uh, top shooting teams in the Big Ten this year, ran up against a buzzsaw in North Texas. They had that killer instinct, that never-say-die instinct, and that's why they're advancing to the next round of the NCAA tournament. This is why we watch Marge Madness, because of these type of games, these type of outcomes. Oregon State throttled Tennessee. It was if Coach Barnes didn't have his team prepared for the tournament. They were not ready for Oregon State. Remember, Oregon State had to win several games in the Pac-12 in order to get to this point. They had to win the Pac-12 in order to get a bid into the NCAA tournament. And they're riding that wave as they throttled Tennessee. This game was never close. They throttled Tennessee. Rutgers from the Big Ten comes in and beats Clemson. We had four teams, if I'm not mistaken, from the ACC that lose. That I'm sorry, they lose. That lost on Friday. Amazing. That's how the tournament goes. This is how we get prepared for the madness of March by watching these upsets and looking to see exactly who is going to shine, who's going to be that star when it comes to March Madness. That was part of the allure of why the tournament had to be played this year. As much as we were fighting through COVID and a pandemic, everybody knew that we had to have March Madness. Not only from a financial standpoint, but just because of the fact what what this tournament does. Again, you, these venues, because they have it in a bubble type of environment in Indianapolis, is uncommon to what we're used to seeing. We're used to seeing venues packed and sold out. But I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter. Just like we saw last year with the NBA and with the NFL it doesn't matter how many fans, if any fans at all, are there. It, it just matters that we have sports. And that's what was so inviting, so enticing about this coming season, that if we could just get these kids through the season, is what all the universities and colleges wanted to do. They said they would figure out a way to get to March Madness. Now, we've had some teams that have had setbacks. We saw where some teams had to get there late. Virginia, remember, they had to bow out of the ACC tournament because of COVID. They were able to get down to the tournament for the NCAA. So was Kansas. They had the same issue with COVID. But this is why we play the game. This is why we love to watch these kids play the game. And I want to give, as we were giving a shout out to Rick Pitino for what he did this year at Iona, I also want to give a shout out to one of my favorite coaches, Bob Huggins, Huggy Bear at West Virginia. By them winning their first game in the tournament, Bob Huggins joins an elite group of coaches as he captures his 900th victory on the collegiate level. Bob Huggins has always been one of the best coaches in college basketball. I think he's also been one of the most overlooked and underrated underrated coaches in college basketball. So I just wanted to give a shout out Coach Huggins at West Virginia for his 900th career win. He joins an elite group of coaches with Coach K, Bobby Knight, Roy Williams, Jim Beheim. You just don't walk into a sport and and have that much success without being acknowledged. So just wanted to acknowledge Coach Bob Huggins for his success and wish West Virginia the best of luck in the next round of the NCAA tournament. We also have to talk about other teams that bowed out of this tournament already. We have to talk about what happened with 
the University of Texas, losing to Abilene Christian. One point heartbreaking loss for Texas. But you can't have 23 turnovers and think that you're going to win a game. I don't care who you are. You can't. They lost this game on a two on a uh, foul at the end. Took a player for Abilene Christian who was a 69% free throw shooter to go to the line. Down by one, he hits two big free throws. If you saw the young man shoot these free throws, you would have never known he was a 69% free throw shooter because he hit both of them as if he was a 90% free throw shooter. So Abilene Christian moves on. This is why we love this tournament because the upstart teams get an opportunity to show us what they're made of. And this is why we love this tournament. Unfortunately, VCU had to bow out of this tournament because of the COVID protocol. They had several members of their team that um, became infected. And so they had to bow out. And Oregon basically got a bye to move on to the next round of the tournament. We saw Michigan State lose in the play-in game on Thursday night. Now, usually the play-in game is on a Tuesday in March Madness in regards to the actual events of the game start on a Thursday because of all the COVID protocols that everybody had to go through. They had to push it back to Friday when we got the actual game games this time. And that was fine. But unfortunately for Michigan State, they couldn't hold the lead against UCLA. And I'm going to say this, and I don't know if, if anybody has been paying attention to this over the last few years. Coach Izzo, I've said this before, is one of the best coaches in collegiate basketball. Has been one of the best coaches in collegiate basketball. But over the last couple of years, his program in regards to the way that he's handled some of his confrontation with confrontations with his players has been a bit troubling. And we saw this again on Thursday night when he had a run-in with one of his players. Now, it's okay to have a disagreement with a player. I've known that. I've, 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 I've experienced that firsthand more than one time. But when you're in a constant shouting match, when you have to get in a player's face or a player is constantly in your face, that's a bit disturbing. And we've seen this before with Coach Izzo and players. And so we don't know if this is something that needs to be addressed by the university, something that Coach Izzo may need to take a look at himself, or they just need to have a complete, total revamp at Michigan State in regards to them sitting down with the administration along with Coach Izzo and the players and making sure that this doesn't become an annual thing. Because when you see this on TV, it's a bad look. And although I think sometimes we forget that at the end of the day, these are young men. These are not grown men, although some of them look like they're grown men. These are young men. And Coach Izzo and any coach is supposed to be the leader of these men. So we, we have to, it's not a situation where you have to do better per se, but we have to make sure that everybody understands what their responsibilities are and to make sure that we're not stepping outside of those for the sake of the game. And that we do remember that at the end of the day, these are young men that, that these coaches are trying to prepare for their future, whether it's in the NBA, whether it's just to get a, a job in the field that they're studying. But at the end of the day, they still have to make sure that the, the, the right message is getting across when we see these players playing. And that's what it boils down to. But the tournament will continue through this weekend. We also will have the ladies that will begin playing today as well. I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to the, the women's tournament because we've got a, yacht, a lot of teams that could, could possibly win this tournament for the women. UConn, of course, is the number one overall seed, and they have an outstanding young freshman guard. Um, but I'm telling you, you better watch out for the University of Maryland. 
Coach Brenda Freeze has that team. They're the leading scoring team in the country for a reason. They have a lot of players they can put the rock in the basket. So you need to take a look at Maryland. But um, Gino Amaretta, the outstanding and Hall of Fame coach for UConn, will miss the first few games of this tournament due to COVID protocol. We wish him well, making sure, hoping that he is healthy enough to come back and coach his girls team. That's the most important thing health-wise. We know Connecticut will be fine for at least the first few games of the tournament without Geno, but we just wanted to acknowledge that he um, will miss the first few games because of COVID and just wish him all the best and speedy recovery. I know a lot of people's brackets are a little shaky because of some of the early upsets that we saw, but this is the reason why we watch March Madness. This is the reason why we love March Madness, and this is the reason why we couldn't wait for the opportunity for these games to be played again. So just get your popcorn ready again today. Sit back and enjoy the games that will be on today because you're going to get, like I said, a combination of both the men and the women, which is a good thing. We're going to step away, and we're going to talk more about the about the uh, tournament in the next following days, but we just want to give you a brief overview of some of the games that were going on. And real quick, we'll stay on this whole, we're going to stay on this um, March Madness tournament real quick. For anybody who didn't believe that Gonzaga was going to come out the gate ready to play, I think they showed you last night that they were going to be ready. As Gonzaga came out and did Gonzaga-like things. And I think right now they are the prohibitive favorite to win it all. But I like what I saw from Illinois. Illinois looks like a team that's going to be strong in this tournament. Loyola of Chicago. Let's talk about let's talk about Loyola of Chicago. Remember, they have a big cheerleader, the 101-year-old. <laughs> we saw her a couple of years ago when she went came into the tournament. Now she's back with Loyola of Chicago, and they got a big win against Georgia Tech. And now they'll move on to play against Illinois. That should be a very interesting game. Chicago of Loyola is really well coached, and that should be um, a really big game. That should be a really interesting game to watch. I told you my dark horse for this tournament was Oklahoma State because of the freshman, freshman sensation by the name of Kay Cunningham. Let me just say this about Kay Cunningham. They played Liberty. Kay Cunningham had one point in the first half. One point, folks. A couple of fouls. They struggled a little bit with Liberty in the first half. The young man scored 14 points in the second half. And then they took control of this game. And, and that's why I said that this kid... Is so impactful across the board. Not that he's a prolific scorer like a Carmelo Anthony was when Carmelo was at Syracuse, his one and only year at Syracuse, and he captured a national championship for Jim Bayham, his first one, by the way. But Kay Cunningham affects the game on all levels. He is without a doubt. When he walks into an arena, the best player on the floor. He is a leader on the floor as a freshman. As a 6'8 point guard, he's a distributor. He sets the table for everybody else. And then he says, you know what? After I've allowed everybody else to eat, then I will now eat from the same table. That's what you want from your best player. You want him to be unselfish You want him to be able to pick his spots, but you want him to be able to understand when his team needs him to step up and be the best player, not only on the team, but the best player in the country. That's what he's capable of doing. And that's why this young man will be the number one pick in the NBA draft because of his talent and the intangibles that he brings to the table. I still like OK State to do some damage in this tournament. I just think that when they run up against Illinois and the size that Illinois has, I think that's what's going to be a problem for them. 
But I would not be surprised if Kay Cunningham puts on a cape and he can lead them even further than most of us believe. All right, so we're going to step away once again and take a little break. And then we're going to come back and talk about NFL free agency and talk a little bit about the NBA. Thank you again for listening to Uptempo Sports 24-7. We be, we will be, now we, we be, we will be right back. All right, all right. Thank you for staying here with us here on Uptempo Sports 24-7 as we have tried to uh, touch on a little bit of everything about March Madness, about the events of life that have been going on. And of course, we've got to talk about the elephant in the room. And that is what is going on with Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans. Every time we turn around now, it seems like there's another storyline going on in Houston. At first, it was that Houston would not listen to calls for Deshaun Watson. Then it was that Deshaun had several teams that he wanted to play for if he got traded. And then that list changed from four teams to two teams. And now we have this story that broke a few days ago about the fact that there are now allegations against Deshaun Watson for sexual improprieties um, at massage shops. What in the hell is going on? Now, this is the question that I have for everybody. I'm not dismissing any of these charges or allegations that are being held against Deshaun Watson. But isn't it funny that Deshaun Watson's been with the Texans for almost five years? And in those five years, we've not heard anything except for Deshaun Watson being an outstanding citizen, being a person who is in the community doing things community wise, that he has been, other than J.J. Watt, the face of the Houston Texans and the face of the community in Houston. And then all of a sudden, when Deshaun Watson and his agent come out and say that they want to be traded, that they will never step foot back on the Houston Texans field as a player then we now have these allegations surfacing about Deshaun Watson and allegedly some things that happened with him at a massage parlor. Not only it started out with one allegation, then one allegation turned into three. Now three has turned into seven. I know they say where there's smoke, there's fire, but really folks, You're talking about a situation where the man has been in Houston for five years and we've heard nothing but good and honorable things about him. And now that he wants to be with another franchise, that he no longer wants to be employed by the Texans. Now this story breaks. And what I find ironic about this is that from what I understand, the attorney who's representing these women in these allegations happens to be good friends with the current owner, the son of Bob McNair, who owns the team now. They happen to be friends. Think about that for a second. The ownership of the Houston Texans, who employs Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson wants to be out of the organization. And now allegations surface about some off the field sexual improprieties but the attorney who's representing these allegations is best friends with the owner of the houston texans doesn't that leave you scratching your head just a second doesn't that raise a level of red flags for you again i'm not sitting here trying to play an attorney i'm just playing devil's advocate because i'm saying to you if you've not heard anything about any missteps from deshaun watson in the five years he's been employed by the texans Now that he's ready 
to move on from the Texans, we now hear these allegations, and I'm doing air quotes because you can't see me because I'm on the mic instead of on TV. We now hear allegations surfacing about Deshaun Watson and some alleged sexual improprieties that he may have had or encounters that Deshaun Washington stepped outside of himself. Again, I'm not going to sit here and say that these allegations can't be true. I just think that it's a little unsettling and it's the timing of it all leaves me wondering how much truth it is to these things. Now, if Deshaun is guilty of some of these charges that are being alleged, then he does need to be punished. No question about it. But in that same retrospect, just ask yourself, why now? I'm sure that these events didn't just occur overnight. I'm sure that these events didn't just occur within the last week or the last month. So why now? When the player wants to be traded to another franchise, now all of a sudden you have all these allegations coming out. We're going to keep a eye on this situation very carefully because not only from the standpoint of what the NFL may do or has to do, but also will any potential franchises that were interested in the services of one Deshaun Watson, will they now retreat and back off of any trade request that they've made to the Texans for the services of Deshaun Watson? That's what we're going to look to see what happens with this situation. And we're also going to see who is going to hold their ground. Is it going to be the Houston Texans management or is it going to be Deshaun Watson in regards to if he'll ever play again for the Texans? I will say this about the Texans, that they have made several moves um, this offseason in order to try to get talent on this team. So we'll have to see how that's going to work. But if you don't have the trigger man, I know they signed Tyrod Taylor, and I think they're bringing in um, is it Mike Glennon as a backup, if I'm not mistaken. I know Tyrod is coming in um, as a potential starter if they decide to move on from Deshaun. So we're going to have to see. And then the other rumor out there is that you know the GM for Houston left New England. New England is in the market for a quarterback, although they – Resign Cam, the amount of money that they gave Cam is money for a backup, $5 million, with incentives that could go up to $14 million. That's still a bargain in today's NFL for a quarterback. So would Nick Casarius be interested in negotiating with his former employer, the New England Patriots, in order to try to move Deshaun? Remember, Deshaun does have a no-trade clause, so he would still have to sign off on this deal. But would New England now be a potential landing spot for Deshaun Watson if Houston decides to move on from him? That's something we're going to keep an eye on as well. New England has made several moves out here in free agency. They've been the big spender in free agency. Unfortunately for New England, they are going to lose one of their better players, Patrick Chung, the outstanding safety who did not play this past season because of COVID concerns is now retiring. In his 11th season, Patrick Chung says it's time for him to hang it up. We wish him well. He was a hell of a player for the New England Patriots. But New England, as one exits out, another one comes in as they get the return of the linebacker, Mr. Van Noy. Remember, Van Noy was a former New England Patriot. He left after winning a couple of Super Bowls with Bill Belichick and took his talents down to South Beach to Miami. And then after his second year, which was this past season, he was released. So now he's coming back to play for Bill Belichick once again. I think that's a nice move for the veteran, um, Mr. Van Noy. He had his best years in New England, although he was still a tackling machine last year who led Miami in tackles last year. So not sure if the reason why he was released was because of a salary cap hit and he did get banged up towards the end of the season last year. So not really sure about um, exactly what transpired there. Speaking of Miami and one leaving out and one coming in, Will Fuller of the Texans, who was going to be a free agent wide receiver and who we thought may get big money in free agency, signed a one-year deal to join the Miami Dolphins. 
that will help them on the outside. I still think that they would be in a market for a wide receiver, someone like a Lamar um, Chase from LSU, who I think is the best receiver in this upcoming draft. But you add Will Fuller's speed along with Devontae Parker's physicality and somebody like a, a Lamar Chase, and you have a very stocked receiving core for a young quarterback into a tug of a lure. Can't go wrong with that. We'll see if they make that move in a draft. But Will Fuller, if healthy, will be an upgrade on the outside, especially from a speed scenario. The team that I like some of the moves that they made has been the Cleveland Browns. They brought in the safety John Johnson, the young safety from the L.A. Rams. They brought him in and signed him. And then now they lock up his buddy who played on the outside with him, Troy Hill, the cornerback. Those were the weaknesses of the Cleveland Browns last year, if you recall, is that their back end, their secondary, was terrible. And so they've shored up that with John Johnson, the young, aggressive safety that they signed the first day of the open period for the NFL. And now they signed his running mate, Troy Hill, at cornerback. Buffalo signs Jared Cook to a one-year deal. That will help Josh Allen out. Kendrick Kenyon Drake signs with the Raiders that will help out their running back situation as well that gives them a balance in the uh, backfield Lamar Miller we told you he signed with the Washington football team we forgot to mention Matt Judon signs with New England that gives them uh, another pass rusher on the outside as well as a uh, line he can play the linebacker slash pass rusher the Denver Broncos, remember, they let go of A.J. Boye early um, this offseason, and now they have signed Kyle Fuller, the former Pro Bowl cornerback from the Chicago Bulls. Remember, he played with Nick Fagio when Nick was the defensive coordinator in Chicago, so that makes sense. They signed him to a one-year deal. They're trying to rebuild their defense. Remember, they're bringing back Von Miller. They have a healthy Bradley Chubb. Um and so they're trying to get that defense back to where it was not too long ago. We have Juju Smith-Schuster, who we thought would never be playing for Pittsburgh again because we thought that once he hit the free agent market that he would be signing somewhere else. Well, he's returning to Pittsburgh on a one-year deal. Now, according to reports, they said that he had better money opportunities with the Baltimore Ravens, and the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm a little skeptical about that. If you have better financial opportunity with Baltimore and Kansas City, why would you go back to Pittsburgh, who, in my opinion, is going to be in a rebuild year? Yes, they brought back Ben Roethlisberger. This is Ben's last year. He'll be 39 by the time this season starts. They have no running game. They're not going to, they probably will not resign their running back. Their running back situation is up in the air. They have Mr. Snell and they have Mr. McFarlane, who they drafted last year from Maryland. I still think they need an upgrade at the running back position. Remember, they lost Bud Dupree on the outside. They still have the outstanding pass rusher in TJ Watt. They lost Mr. Hilton at the corner. They have a lot of holes. Their offensive line has some defections. Remember, Pouncey retired. So I don't look at Pittsburgh as being a team that's going to be on a Super Bowl run. So if you're Juju, are you going back because you like Pittsburgh's system? Or are you going back because of the fact that the market was very limited in regards to your services? I, it's no way in the world you can convince me that if Kansas City came calling, a team that's been in the Super Bowl the last two years, and if it had not been for them missing out on two of their offensive tackles, they probably, maybe they maybe they would not have beaten New England, but it would have definitely been a much better game. I personally believe that if you protect your franchise quarterback and Patrick Mahomes, you're going to win that Super Bowl. And you're telling me, if you're Juju, that you didn't want to play for Andy Reid, the best offensive schemer in the NFL, and you're telling me you didn't want to play for them and they were going to give you more money? I, I, I'm not believing that. I I don't think he had many options once he hit free agency because teams are looking at it like this. 
you have one of the best receiving classes two years in a row coming in. You get rookie wide receivers on a cheap contract. Why would you go out and sign? To me, Juju is a number two wide receiver. He's not a number one. That's already been established. Why would you go out and sign big bucks to a receiver when the receiving class is coming in is outstanding and you can get a receiver on a cheap? Look how long it took Kenny Galladay to sign. He just signed with the New York Giants. I like Kenny Galladay. I'm a little upset that he's going to be in my division now because I'm a Cowboy fan. We're going to have to deal with him. If he's healthy, he's a monster. If he's, a he- if he's healthy, he's a monster. You put him along with Sterling Shepard, um, Evan Ingram at the tight end spot. They got a nice little receiving core now for Daniel Jones with the Giants. And then you get the return of Saquon Barkley. Giants offense is going to be sparkling if Daniel Jones can take another step forward in the quarterback room. Uh, but Ken, like I said, Kenny Galladay, he had suitors the last few days. Um, Chicago made a big run at him, even though they just franchised Allen Robinson. And Cincinnati um, went after Kenny, Kenny Galladay hard as well. So that's why I'm saying if you're sitting here as Juju's trying to tell everybody that he had more, why would you not want to go to the Ravens? I understand that they are running game is their number one priority, but they need a receiver. They need a bigger receiver other than Hollywood Brown. So for you to go in and play for Baltimore, you're going to get passes because they need a receiving core. And they line you up in a slot or even put you on the outside. You might not be a true number one, but you become the number one receiver for them. Why would you not want that? Because you're definitely not the number one receiver in Pittsburgh. Mr. Claypool is the number one receiver in Pittsburgh. So... I'm I'm just not I'm not buying into this whole thing that Juju went back because of the fact that he just wanted to play for Pittsburgh. I think he went back because there were not enough opportunities for him to be playing for somebody else. And I'm just not believing that Kansas City and Baltimore came calling and they offered more money and you chose to go back to play for Pittsburgh, a team that's in a rebuilding mode right now and a team where you weren't even the leading receiver last year in touchdown receptions i'm not believing that save that for somebody else so that's where we are in free agency right now um the dallas cowboys signed canoe neal um and so we'll see if they make mr mcneil mr neal i'm sorry if they will make him a hybrid linebacker or if they'll let him come in and compete for the strong safety position. Remember, we have Donovan Wilson. Dallas is still shopping for a free safety. They're supposed to be bringing in someone like uh, the Malik Hooker. Remember, the um, young man was an outstanding player for Ohio State years ago, but he's been hurt, injury-prone, but he's still young at 24 years old. So we'll see what happens with that. And there's still going to be a lot of big names that are still out there. Dallas still needs to go get... um, Stronger on the defensive line in regards to um, someone who can stop the run. They did make some signings. I'm not even, it's not even worth talking about, in my opinion. Um, Mr. Basham from New York, the Jets, he's okay. But, you know, Mr. Urban from Chicago, he's supposed to be a defensive tackle. We'll see what that happens, what happens with that. But I still believe they need to go out and sign. Uh, another defensive tackle. They need to shore up that that run game, and they need to go get a linebacker. I don't know who's available, but they're going to have to get that linebacker spot solidified. Bringing back Sean Lee does not solidify your linebacker position. I'm sorry. That's just not enough. So we'll see what Dallas has in store over the next couple of weeks in free agency. Just want to mention this about the NBA real quick, and then we're going to talk about this more on our next episode, but I just want to touch on this. Anthony Edwards did not start the season for Minnesota. Remember, he was the number one pick in the draft. He did not start the season for Minnesota. But the young man, due to injuries, has found his way into the starting lineup, and now you know why Minnesota was so excited about adding him with Carl Anthony Towns for a one-two punch. Because Anthony Edwards is a bona fide scorer. He becomes the fourth 
youngest player in NBA history to score more than 40 points at his age. He joins an elite group of Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and Carmelo Anthony to be one of the youngest players to score more than 40 points in an NBA game. Congratulations to Anthony Edwards. Also, um, talked about James Harden. James Harden, as much as we talked about, and I said I didn't like the trade, that I thought it would break up chemistry in Brooklyn, that I didn't think it was enough basketballs, I've been wrong. I don't have a problem admitting that I was wrong about that experiment. James Harden is on a mission to try to get his second NBA Most Valuable Player Award. He is the leader in triple-doubles when it comes to scoring 40 or more points. A couple of nights ago, he had 40, 10, and 12. James Harden is an assist machine right now. I don't know what has happened with him in regards to assists, but he is outstanding right now, and he is on a mission to try to get an MVP trophy added with the potential of the Brooklyn Nets trying to get to an NBA championship. With that, we're going to close. And just want to say thank you again for joining us this morning on Uptempo Sports 24-7. I hope you all are enjoying the tournament and that you will continue to understand that we overall, all of us, have to be better. We all have to do better in order for us to be able to get along in this world and for this world to be a better place for each and every one of us to live. With that, we say thank you. You know, you can always find us on all your social platforms, Google, Spotify, Anchor.com. And as we always say, same bat time, same bat channel. Until the next, peace.